0: Hi, I'm Dr. Troni Lodog, physician, teacher, and author. Thank you for joining me for today's chat, brought to you by The Vitamin Shop. Today I really wanted to talk about some of the most common myths that are out there around dietary supplements. You cannot turn on the television, pick up a newspaper, read something on the internet that doesn't have something to do with with dietary supplements rather you need them or don't need them they're good quality or it's all snake oil this new berry from the amazon will cure your cancer or make you lose weight without exercising or any of the rest there's just so much out there which kind of makes me sad because this is an area that i have spent much of my career researching studying evaluating I have been involved with the United States Pharmacopeia since 1998. When you think about it, almost 20 years now, I have chaired various committees at the United States Pharmacopeia that have been involved with assessing the safety of dietary supplements as well as setting quality standards for the dietary supplements sold in the United States. I am passionate about this topic. Making sure you have the right information that you need so that you can make healthy choices for you and your family. And it is what inspired me to write the book, Fortify Your Life with National Geographic. Because I felt people really needed a book that got down to the nuts and bolts, addressed some of these common myths, and gave people some useful information for how they could select supplements that were right for them based on their age, their gender their lifestyle, and if it's a woman, her menstrual status, and if she's pregnant. There's so many medications that people take today that actually wipe out key nutrients that your doctor may not even be talking to you about. The book was written as a way to really help people understand which supplements might be most important for them. So today's Tease Talk is about myth-busting. Today, we're going to dispel those myths that people have around dietary supplements and give you the information you need to make healthy choices for you and your family. What's the number one myth about supplements? Dietary supplements are not regulated. That's false. It is not true. Dietary supplements are not regulated in the same way that drugs are regulated. They're regulated more along the lines of food. There are dietary supplement regulations in place by the Food and Drug Administration, and the FDA has the power to be able to remove unsafe supplements from the marketplace. There are also things called good manufacturing practices, or GMPs, which are the guidelines by which the industry must follow these rules when they're making their supplements They must be in compliance with those GMPs or they will get a warning letter from the Food and Drug Administration, which are posted online and are public. So companies now, there's many more of them that are being inspected by FDA inspectors. They've got to really have their ducks in a row. And the bad companies, while they're still out there, they're far fewer than they used to be. The dietary supplements are regulated. They're just regulated differently than drugs under their own set of good manufacturing practices the second most common myth i hear is that you don't need vitamins they're a waste of money you get everything you need in your diet factually inaccurate if we look at what the cdc found In their most recent report from their big NHANES study, where they go around the country and they do dietary surveys, they take blood analysis and urine analysis from people, and they check them for a wide variety of things. When we look at that data from the government, it clearly shows 90 million Americans are deficient in vitamin D using the Endocrine Society's guidelines. 90 million deficient, not borderline, not just kind of low, but frankly deficient. And 23 million Americans were really severely deficient. So clearly we're not getting all the vitamin D we need in our diet. Little note, it's hard to get vitamin D in your diet. It is. You got to eat a lot of fish. You got to drink a lot of milk. You got to eat a lot of sardines. You got to do a lot to get enough vitamin D in your diet because you were never intended to get vitamin D in your diet. You were intended to get it by exposing your skin to the sun, and you take up that UV light, and your body is able to make vitamin D. Okay, so why are so many of us deficient? We don't get out in the sun like we used to because of skin cancers and concern about this, also because many of us work inside. We don't labor in the fields anymore. Also, we use sunscreen. If you buy a moisturizer for your face, it's almost impossible to find one that doesn't have some sunscreen in it, an SPF of at least 8. An SPF of 8 minimizes and blocks the ability for the body to produce vitamin D by 95%. SPF 15s and 30s are common, so it's just going to be really almost impossible to get all the vitamin D you need from diet alone or from exposing your skin to the sun Um, given all the warnings that we've had about skin cancer. The other thing I would tell you is even if you were exposing your skin to the sun, the darker your skin and the further north you live in the northern hemisphere, the harder it is for your body to be able to make adequate amounts of vitamin D. A black woman living in New York City is going to have a lot harder time getting enough vitamin D compared to a white woman living in Georgia. It just becomes more difficult to be getting all the vitamin D you need the further north you go. So in the United States, if you draw a line across the map where Denver is and you just make a line across that, anybody living north of that line is going to have a hard time keeping enough vitamin D to last them through the winter. And I would argue they probably will be low for much of the year anyway. Vitamin D is something that most people are going to have to take. Why not take it in a multivitamin? So what else did the CDC find? 30 million of us were deficient in vitamin B6. I got to admit, this really got me. I'm like, what? What? How could 30 million Americans be deficient in B6? Like, how? How is that happening? Tufts University found that as inflammation in the body rises, B6 levels fall. So we don't know exactly what the connection is between them, but we know many, many more Americans have these kind of chronic levels of just inflammation in the body because of the way we live our lives. So we may see more B6 deficiency in the future as inflammation in the body rises. Women taking oral contraceptives had low levels of B6 pretty much as a group. I can tell you as somebody who's prescribed a fair number of birth control pills in my life that most of us are not telling women that they should be supplementing with vitamin B6. The hope would be that a woman who's taking birth control pills is also taking a multivitamin just in case she gets pregnant so that she's got enough folic acid on board. If she was taking a multivitamin or a prenatal, she would be getting vitamin B6 and may not be deficient. But we know today many women taking birth control pills are not taking multis because they're thinking they're not going to get pregnant. That's why they're taking the pill. Vitamin B6 is interesting, though, because you need it for all kinds of things. You need B6 to make stomach acid so you can digest your proteins and other foods. You need vitamin B6 to be able to convert tryptophan and 5-HTP to serotonin. What does that mean? Well, that basically means that to make one of the neurotransmitters associated with mood and appetite and happiness, you've got to have adequate amounts of B6, That's why when people's B6 levels get low, they feel irritable, they can feel anxious, more forgetful, memory's not as good as it should be, they feel tired. I mean, these are all very vague symptoms. The woman who comes in who's been on birth control pills for five years and now is like, I'm tired, I just, I'm not sleeping well, I feel kind of depressed and we check her thyroid, and we check to make sure she's not anemic, I guarantee you nobody's ordering a vitamin B6 test on that woman. And then what do we end up doing? She'll probably end up with a prescription for antidepressants on her way out the door. I'm not saying that she might not need the antidepressant. What I'm saying is we know that there's a correlation between oral contraceptives and low B6, and we know low B6 is associated with depressed mood. Nobody's checking. How do you know? So this is another one of those myths for me when we're telling everybody they're getting everything they need in their diet. That's another area where this just isn't true. Now, what about B12? 18 million Americans with really low B12. How do you get it? You get it from eating animal products, but you have to have stomach acid to be able to separate the protein and the B12. How many people are now on taking medications that shut down their stomach acid? A lot. A lot of people. B12... You eat it in a piece of chicken, and then it comes into your stomach. Stomach acid separates the protein and the B12. The B12 gets picked up by something called intrinsic factor that's made by cells in your stomach, travels down to the last little part of your small intestine, and if you have adequate calcium, you absorb it. I just said a lot of things. Vegetarians and vegans got to be a little bit more careful, particularly vegans, about B12. People taking proton pump inhibitors, things that shut down stomach acid need to be a little bit careful about B12. People who have very low calcium intake need to watch their ability to absorb B12. And people with autoimmune conditions may not be able to make that intrinsic factor. They may have an antibody to the cells that make that intrinsic factor. And so they may not be able to bind that B12 and absorb it. So there's all kinds of reasons people could have low B12. Who gets it the most? People over the age of 50. That's who we see a lot of problems with is older people because as we get older, we make less stomach acid. We make less stomach acid and it becomes harder for us to absorb B12 from the animal products that we're eating. The Institute of Medicine says people over the age of 50 should try to get their B12 either through supplements or fortified foods. Again, when we're telling people that they don't need a vitamin, that sort of goes against what the Institute of Medicine has said about B12 and older people. What about folic acid or folate? What about women who are planning on getting pregnant? We still have our recommendations that women who might become pregnant, meaning that they're sexually active, should be taking a multivitamin that provides at least 400 micrograms of folic acid. Why? Why? because you need that on board months before conception to reduce the risks of birth defects like spina bifida or other neural tube defects. If you're not taking them months before pregnancy, you start taking them six weeks after you find out you're pregnant, you're not hardly going to get any of the benefit. When we're telling everybody they're getting everything they need in their diet, what does this mean to the 28-year-old who's sexually active but not planning on pregnancy and then gets pregnant? Multivitamins, prenatal vitamins, very important. What else did we find? How about the fact that 16 million Americans had vitamin C levels so low, so low, it was almost like having scurvy. What is going on there? That's interesting because part of me wonders, is this both a use issue and a consumption issue? Are we both not getting enough vitamin C in our diet and or are we using up a lot of vitamin C? I think it's probably both. The CDC shows 75% of us do not get the recommended daily intake of fruits and vegetables, which is only five servings, even though most experts believe we need seven to nine. 75% of us are not meeting the recommended daily intake for fruits and veggies. We might not be getting enough vitamin C. The other thing is, we might be using up more vitamin C because we're so stressed. Vitamin C, a lot of it is stored in your adrenal glands. The adrenal glands are what make stress hormones, what other countries call adrenaline or noradrenaline. We call epinephrine and norepinephrine in the United States. These are your stress hormones. And to make that norepinephrine, you actually have to use vitamin C. You can't make it without it. If we're feeling really stressed and we're making lots of this stress hormone, we're chewing up all our vitamin C. If we're not getting enough in our diet, we're going to end up low, with low levels. Not only were 16 million Americans really, really low, but you had like another 25, 28 million who were pretty borderline low. Interesting study came out the end of 2016. In the newspaper from Sydney, Australia, there was a report about a hospital there where diabetics were going for wound care. They were going in to get their wounds taken care of. Diabetics often can develop poor healing ulcers in their feet and legs. There are departments within clinics and hospitals that are specifically designed to help manage these wounds and make sure they don't get infected and that they heal appropriately. These docs there were just noticing these people were not healing well. And so one of them got the idea, maybe we should check their vitamin C. Lo and behold, a whole bunch of these diabetic patients living in Sydney, eating a normal diet, actually had scurvy. They had really low levels of vitamin C. And when they gave these people 500 milligrams twice a day of vitamin C, the wounds started healing. Well, you have to wonder in the United States, who is thinking about vitamin C? Nobody. Nobody's going to pay to get the test done either, except maybe in a poor diabetic with poor healing wounds. So, you know, you don't actually have to go get a vitamin C level test. You can just go take vitamin C as part of multivitamin. Look for one that's got one to 200 milligrams a day in it. And of course, if you're eating food, hopefully getting fruits and vegetables, you're going to certainly get enough for you not to develop a deficiency, right? Crazy. Now, some things that they checked for were interesting in the fact that we saw both deficiency and borderline excess. Let me tell you which one really stood out for me, and that was iron. Iron, we had a whole bunch of women especially Latinas and African-American women who were really low in iron, as well as Hispanic children that were really, really low in iron. But the first time we saw now men, kind of 40s to 60s, borderline high for iron. Take-home message here. Women and little kids need adequate amounts of iron. Women who are not menstruating or pregnant, meaning they're like past menopause or they've had a hysterectomy and they no longer have periods. And men should not be taking supplemental iron and they also want to just be careful about how much fortified foods they eat that have a lot of iron in them. So I hope that I've proven my case that people do need more supplements or vitamins. They need to benefit from taking a multivitamin and that it's simply not true that you get everything you need in your diet. So that's myth buster number two. I hear this myth a lot too. Number three, Vitamins just give you yellow urine. That's how you know they're just passing all the way through you, that you're just peeing them out. I give you partial credit for this one. When you take B vitamins, vitamin B2, riboflavin, when you excrete part of it in your urine, it turns your urine that characteristic yellow color that people get when they take a multi or a B-complex vitamin. It doesn't mean you're not absorbing everything. It just means that your body absorbed what riboflavin it needed and you passed out the rest. It doesn't speak to any other vitamin other than vitamin B2, riboflavin, which actually takes part of its name, from flavus, which means yellow. That's why the urine turns yellow and it doesn't have anything to do with not absorbing your vitamins. It just means that you've peed out a little extra of your riboflavin. Myth that I also hear is that Tablets don't dissolve, and they just pass right through you. Well, this could be partially true, but mostly it's a myth. Many companies, but not all, many companies use the USP tablet disintegration test to determine if their tablets would disintegrate under normal conditions, meaning you take it by mouth and it dissolves in the body. Most companies are doing the tests, and the tests show that their tablets disintegrate appropriately, okay? Who might have more problems with a tablet? People who are taking high-dose proton pump inhibitors and shutting off all their stomach acid. If you don't have any acid in your stomach, it may be harder for you to digest that tablet, and a capsule or a liquid might be better. When you're thinking of tablet versus capsule versus liquid, we like tablets because you can actually get a lot of stuff into a small tablet. You can compress a lot of ingredient into a tablet. The tablets do disintegrate, and they have a longer shelf life. The tablets actually last longer than a capsule. So there's a lot of reason companies like to use them. I would say as long as you're buying from a reputable company, your tablet should dissolve just fine. If you have a question, it's your favorite brand, call the company and ask them. Do you use the USP disintegration test on your tablets? They'll tell you. They'll get back with you. If they won't tell you, then you know you shouldn't buy from them anyway. Sometimes you can go on consumerlabs.com, consumerlabs.com. You can actually look up your brand. They will tell you if it was tested and if it passed their testing for quality pass their testing for disintegration, et cetera. So consumer labs can be a useful resource. But in general, tablets are a great way to take them. Capsules do not require that kind of stomach acid. So if you're taking proton pump inhibitors or you're very old, taking a capsule may be a good idea. And if you have problems with swallowing, then using a liquid type of supplement could also be a good option for you but that's another myth that these tablets just all pass through you and that you can't absorb any of them that's generally false for most good companies and in healthy individuals that are not taking strong stomach acid suppressants myth all supplements are created equal the cheapest vitamin you can buy is as effective as the most expensive vitamin you can buy now look One of the things I said on Consumer Labs is that they do help you sort of distinguish because some products are just really overpriced. Some vitamin C, a basic vitamin C that's going for $30 is just an overpriced vitamin C. However, raw ingredients, the raw materials that go into making whatever dietary supplement you are purchasing, cost money. The cheapest ingredients make the cheapest vitamins. Simple as that. If I'm wanting to buy something that's maybe not sold in tonnage lots from China, I'm probably going to have to pay a little bit more money. If I'm going to use a food base, if I'm including organic produce in my supplement, that's going to cost more than a supplement that just uses the synthetic USP ingredient without any sort of food matrix to wrap it in. All of these things you want to take into consideration. When I go to purchase a car, I'm not looking for the cheapest car on the lot. I don't go and say, hey, I'm looking for a used car. Can you show me the most cheap car you've got sitting on your lot? And the reason for that is I'm not sure that the cheapest car on the lot is actually going to be the one that's going to be the best car for me to drive. It may fall apart real quick. And when I'm going out and purchasing my food, I am a bargain shopper. I do look for sales. But I'm not going around thinking, what is the very cheapest food I can buy my family? Because if that's your criteria, you're going to buy a box of cupcakes before you buy a pound of tomatoes because the cupcakes are going to be cheaper. All I'm trying to say is that when you're looking for a supplement for you or your family, the cheapest isn't always the best. Neither is the most expensive. But look on the labels. Does it have artificial colors, artificial flavors? What went into it? I personally do not buy food loaded with artificial colors and dyes. I'm certainly not going to take a vitamin that's got one. Just be consistent across the board. How do you make your purchases? How do you discern what's good quality or not good quality? And then, again, you can look on the label for things that say like USP Verified. That means that it's been independently third-party tested, that product. That company uses the USP as a quality seal. There's also Consumer Lab, CL or NSF, that also are quality seals that you can find. That means that those companies subject their products to third-party testing, and those usually indicate also a high quality. Consumer Labs is another place that you can visit just to see if the brand that you're purchasing meets their quality standards. So they're not all created equal. What you're investing in the raw material is reflected in what comes out the other end. Another myth, they discovered the cure for cancer decades ago. It's just the pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know about it. There's all kinds of herbs and vitamins that cure cancer. I cannot believe how often I hear this. I tell you the truth. I had a physician walk up to me, a doctor, after I had gone through my chemo and radiation, my cancer treatment, come up to me and say, I'm so disappointed in you, Dr. Lodog. I mean, I have followed your career for years. I can't believe that you didn't use a natural approach for your cancer. I just took his face in my hands and just said, bless you. Because what else could you really say to somebody? I don't know this guy. He's coming up judging sort of how I decided to treat my cancer and then told me there was some natural way to just do this. Let me tell you, the people who treat cancer every day, oncologists, are looking for the day they don't have cancer patients anymore. One of my dearest friends is a pediatric oncologist. She's like, do you know how hard it is to take care of a six-year-old baby who's been sick with cancer, getting better, getting worse, getting better, getting worse, since they were two. The point is that we don't have all of these miraculous cures. And this new berry that came from the Amazon that some shaman told some person and gave this secret knowledge to that cures all cancers, it just makes them disappear overnight, is a myth. Do I wish it was true? Absolutely. Do I believe that there's many cures in nature that we haven't even scratched the surface on? Yes. But I will also tell you that for me, my criteria for evidence of effectiveness and benefit increases with the risk of the disease. If you've got a cold, do I really care how much evidence there is for elderberry or vitamin C? No, because it's a cold. If you have menstrual cramps, is there strong evidence for magnesium or ginger? Well, there's some evidence. But how much evidence do you need for a menstrual cramp? But when it comes to cancer and it spreading through your body and possibly taking your life, I'd say the evidence for that supplement or for whatever treatment it is needs to be more than just anecdotal. I would say that there are many, many things in nature and many, many dietary supplements that can help us feel our very best fill in nutritional gaps, help us maintain healthy bodies and healthy minds, and really help us live a long, healthy life. But this notion that basically it's just pharmaceutical companies that are keeping all these cures from us so they can keep us sick, I've never seen any evidence of that. And I think it's dangerous to sort of continue that myth. I do think that while I'm talking about pharmaceuticals that I think We prescribe too many of them, and I think that this direct-to-consumer advertising is absolutely abhorrent. I can't believe that we allow pharmaceutical companies to just have all these commercials on the television set. I think that's a crazy thing that the United States allows. But by the same token, I would just say that we want to be very careful about the mythology that there's all these natural cures for these really deadly diseases that people are just trying to keep from us. When we look at the totality of information out there, I would say that we get mixed messages depending upon who's trying to sell us something. Who's benefiting from us understanding or knowing this knowledge? I, for the life of me, cannot understand why people are so opposed to a basic multivitamin for people. I think there's ample evidence that it can help many Americans fill in nutritional gaps And I also think that some of these supplements become particularly important for people with chronic disease or who take certain medications or who may be in need of additional nutrients like omega 3s or vitamin D because they're harder to get in our diet based upon where we live and our lifestyle. I would also say that you don't want to overdo a supplement. Supplements to me are like a seatbelt. Today, when I got in the car, I put on my seatbelt started the engine and drove to town i believe that the seat belt is there to give me added protection in case i'm in a car accident i'm not planning on getting in a car accident but it's there as an extra layer of protection that seat belt wouldn't do me any good if i got in my car today drunk texting while i'm driving speeding or being on the wrong side of the road. There's no seatbelt around that will protect me in that case. I still have to do all the things that are expected of a good driver. I think of a multivitamin and vitamin D and omega-3s as kind of the same thing. These are the things that I'm going to take in addition to eating a healthy diet and exercising and managing my stress and keeping healthy social networks and minimizing my exposure to environmental toxins and not smoking. So, I'm going to do all of those things. And then these basic supplements are like my seatbelt. They're there to protect me in case I get sick. And they're there to help keep me feeling strong and healthy. But they're not a substitute. They're not a substitute for living a healthy lifestyle. If you have additional questions, I hope you'll follow me on Facebook come to the Vitamin Shops Facebook so we can get your questions and answer them on future podcasts. I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to join me, and I hope you will continue to live a life that is filled with inspiration and nourishment so that you can thrive every day. Until next time.